Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to the Make 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 podcast episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the Make 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 podcast. Uh, today, we have a friend of mine and author, Jennifer Ritz, uh, who has a new book out called Smoke and Mirrors. Smoke and, go- smoke and Glass. Smoke and Glass. My life is Smoke and Mirrors. <laughs> Your book is Smoke and Glass. That is exactly right. Yes. <laughs> Jennifer, tell people... A- where they can find your stuff and who you are. All right. So first, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here and talking to you about art and my work. Uh, Let's see. So my website is the easiest place to find me. That's jenniferritz.com. And my name is spelled, my last name is H-R-I-T-Z. So it's jenniferhritz.com. And I've been writing for years. This is my third novel, and it's all part of the same fictional world. Hmm. It revolves around one man, Joel Grayson, and each novel is told from a different narrator's perspective. And the story follows these men, Joel and his uh, romantic partners and friends over the course of a couple of decades. It's really fascinating. It's full of lies and love and heartbreak and betrayal. These sort of dark subjects that I really love to explore in my writing. Now, I've never written a novel. I've never written more than a paragraph, but... (laughs) How, you know, how does a character like Joel, where, where does he come from? Is it life experiences? Is it amalgamation? Where, where does it come from? So this is actually quite a curious question and something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. I have a virtual book launch party coming up in a couple of days in celebration of the novel. And this is something that one of my friends was asking me about the other day. So it's been on my mind I have been writing about this character in one way or another since I was, I think, 19 years old. Oh, wow. So at least two years. <laughs> at least 10 years. I love your, oh, wow. Oh. Wow, that's a long time, girl. No, I, the, reason, the reason I said, wow, it's not, it's not a year. It's not that. It's the, I, I, don't, I don't stick with anything that oh. long. Well, I mean, I've stuck with photography and visual sure. storytelling, but I create characters for shoots that sure. come and go. Yeah. And so to have what I'm guessing must be somebody's voice in your head. Absolutely. It's got a, like, it's almost like a, a narrative therapist. I don't know what. <laughs> it's tantalizing. I mean, I have to say, like, I, I can't quite imagine sometimes what other people think about. Because mm-hmm. for me, I'm always thinking about this character or the other characters in this world. And the way he came to me, I was... Uh, I've been writing for years, off and on, probably since middle school, but I was home for uh, the summer from college and I was working at this very uh, boring job for the school district and I had extra time on my hands. I kept finishing the work too quickly and the other administrative assistants kept telling me to stop getting everything done because they were just going to give us more work. And so I thought, well, what can I do? And, And I turned to the computer and I started writing. And really what came out was this story about this guy, this artist who was living on the beach and painting these amazing paintings. But the whole story was told from the perspective of this girl who meets this character. And over the course of the next couple of years, as I was getting my master's in literature and language, and then I got a PhD in American literature, when I would go back to the story, I started to realize, oh, this girl is in the way. Like, this girl is me, actually. Like, (laughs) the girl with the cheating boyfriend and, you know, trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life, that's me. She's in the way. The story's about Joel. And you're right. I mean, it's been many years, but what that means is that the relationship that I have with him and these other men has just become so deep and rich and intimate and glorious. It's just the most incredible experience to be a voyeur into their lives. Yeah. I find it interesting. I mean, it seems like with this character, Joel, you have a very close relationship with, but I've read about other authors who at some point they turn on their characters or maybe their characters turn on them. (laughs) Wow. Right. Right. Famously, like, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle Mm -hmm. just got tired of Sherlock. And killed him off. Oh my gosh. Right? He was like, I'm done with him, and literally killed him off. I don't know because he didn't have any more stories to tell about him. Mm-hmm. 
or because he got more famous than the author. I don't know. Oh. But then there's that jealousy that comes in. So imagine for you that Joel got more famous than you. <laughs> right? Then how does that make you feel, right? So honestly, I feel a profound humility and sense of gratitude for my characters. They've gotten me through so much over the years. And I, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. I mean, and I think what I would also add is that I don't feel like I have control over my characters. Mm-hmm. So if a character dies in my story, it's not like I've plotted that out and thought, let's see, right. I think I'm tired of writing about this character, or um, I think this would further the story, or I think this will really tantalize the reader. Nothing like that happens. As a matter of fact, there are moments where I think I have an idea of where the story's going, and I've sort of seen the scene play out in my head, and then I sit down at my laptop and something different comes out. And there's one scene in particular in my third novel that was incredibly difficult to write. Um, There are two narrators in that novel, Joel, who's this sort of main core um, of this fictional world, and then his friend and one-time lover, and his name is James. And they both have a voice in this book. This was the first time that I had written in James's voice, and it was harrowing, actually, because my perception of James had always been through Joel's lens. And so I saw him as this very specific kind of guy. And then when I got to know his voice, and I was like, oh, you know, he kind of has his own agenda here. He's not as pure as we think he is. He can be kind of not malevolent, but he certainly makes mistakes the way the other men in, in this series. Wait, do. people can make mistakes? <laughs> All right, this is, this is, this is a news flash for me. Well, and you know, the men in my novels make a lot of them. Um, <laughs> it seems to be a theme. <laughs> it's a theme in my novels. It's a theme in my life. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This Ma- is why we're, we're men. We're simple creatures. <laughs> I love it when somebody starts telling me like, well, we're going to do this and this. I'm like, I, one thing at a time. I can't. I literally <laughs> just one thing. Yeah. No. I, I feel like part of I personally am really good at looking at context. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very easy it just in my relationships uh, to, to look at what's going on sort of behind the scenes for someone and, and think, well, OK, this is why they're behaving in this particular way. I think that makes me um, better author because I'm really able to, especially working with this fictional world and these different characters and the way they play off of each other, the way I revisit from novel to novel and even with the short stories I've written different scenes but told from different perspectives. To me that's fascinating. The way we use our memory to look back at a certain period of time and then what's important to you is so not what's important to me and I find that so intriguing and that's what I explore in my fiction yeah I think the first movie that I think really explored that was Rashomon by Kurosawa same story told from the perspective of I can't remember if it's three or four perspectives now Mm -hmm. Um, in every retelling right it's that who, who is actually the trustworthy narrator? Absolutely. Who's not the trustworthy narrator? Or are they all slightly untrustworthy? And where does the truth then lie? Oh, I love yeah. that. So that was, I think that was, I mean, it's been, you know, it, it may not be the first, but it was, it's certainly one of the most well-known. Um, my wife has that, that same, she, she has a hard time with arguments because she feels that she can see everybody's perspective and then it leaves her conflicted. Absolutely. Um, so I told you earlier, one of the reasons that she, she, she loves me for four reasons. One of them is that I'm warm. Um, <laughs> two is that I'm tall and I can reach the top shelf of everything. Important. Yeah. But th- three and pro- well, four is I find all the things she leaves around the house that she can never find. Um, but the most important one is I, I make decisions. Um, I happen to be very good at making decisions all right. and she gets paralyzed because there are so many decisions yes. to make. Right. It's not just her viewpoint that she has to consider. She has to consider the viewpoint of every every party in whatever needs to be decided. And it just takes so much energy and effort to get to that deciding point that for me, it's yes, this black, white, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Most mornings she comes before work. Which earrings? A or B? Which shoes? A or B? Really? A shoes, B earrings. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So decision, right? Like that's a big thing. And, right. and to a certain extent, I can relate to that as, as a Libra. I think I'm always kind of going 
or the scales. No, I know. I'm trying to remember. what She's an Aries. I don't know what she's that means. Aries, so she's like up there. I don't know. I don't, I'm a Scorpio, which everybody's <laughs> oh like. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't even know what it means, but I say it, and everybody's like, "Yeah." yeah I'm uh-huh. like, "Well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know." <laughs> it depends mm. on what you like. Um, James, the guy in my in my novel, he's very much a, a Scorpio. And so he has like the jealousy thing down pat. That's one of the <laughs> one of the sticking points in the novel for these characters is his jealousy. So I would say I'm acerbic, like sarcastic, mm-hmm. certainly like any of those like good SAT, sardonic, any of those like dry <laughs> sense of humors. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to say the thing that isn't true because then if you're in on the joke, it's funny. And I don't know. That's always been wordplay. I love like good puns. All Absolutely. That. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if that makes me a good Scorpio or not. I don't know. I don't think it does, but it makes you more likable to me. Oh, which so is good. Important. Good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, like I said, I like, I was going to look up the name of the book that I'm reading. Cause I'm going to talk about it real quick, but, sure. um, it's interesting. It's by a Chinese American author. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of these Hills is gold? Hmm. It's, it's interesting. It, interesting. I, I'm only a third of the way through, but it's about um, two, basically two orphans of Chinese descent um, whose parents died. And it's at the end of the California gold rush. And it's their, their journey through, that. but it's, it's, it's blending some western culture with eastern culture mm-hmm. and it's it's very interesting so far so there's buffaloes and tigers <laughs> in the american west of course but makes sense. i don't know and like the time the time that's told mm-hmm. it's the hour of certain like chinese culture animals to denote the time it's very it's one of those books i'm reading like am i missing the entire like is it just the story or is it the allegory mm. And do I understand what they're talking about on that top level? I don't know. I don't know if there is one, but it's a very interesting story. I'm fascinated by it. Well, I love that you're you're reading fiction too, because I don't I don't know a whole lot of men who do. Most of my really? yeah, a lot of my so many of my male friends stick with nonfiction. Was it all just like World War Two like <laughs> biographies? I yeah. don't know. Sports? I don't know. But no, that's cliche. I don't. I, I don't mean that. I, I apologize to any men out there who. Are, I don't read read more interesting <laughs> things. Read more fiction. I'm stunned by the number of, of, of men I know who don't read fiction. I mean, I like everything. I I think biographies are interesting. It's like music. People ask me, oh, what kind of listen to you music? I say, good. Mm. I want good music. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what it is. Yeah. Like, but I don't want to listen to the eighth best like person in that group. Show me the top three, right, of any genre. Cool. Like, right? Same for biographies. I don't want to read bad biographies <laughs> or bad autobiographies. Oh, my gosh. I don't want those. But then how do you determine what's the top three? By what means? Ah, merit, meta, metacriticism, right? Like, which one generates the most, like, critical? There's a lot of news stories that I never read the article, but just by the commentary, you can tell if it's, like, if it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the same with, like, movies, right? What what intrigues people? Who writes about it? And if you see who writes about it and what they have to say one way or the other, you usually get a good idea of... Yeah, yeah makes sense. Yeah. So... I have a lot of librarian friends and so I ask them for recommendations a lot. Yeah. One of my really good friends uh, is a librarian on the East coast and my sister-in-law is a librarian on the West coast. That's so cool. And so they, they each have different perspectives. They stay atop of things pretty well. Um, You know, how do you find out anything? Like what's a good recommendation engine for anything? I don't know. Ask, ask your friends you trust. Ask your friends you trust because you never know what sort of might be lurking underneath the surface there. That there could be something really phenomenal that's not getting the attention it deserves or um, that just might resonate with you in a different way because it's not necessarily for the masses. Sure. And I think that's one of the beautiful part about books is you finish a book and then you immediately think, ooh, who do I need to go give this to? I love that feeling. Right? I mean... Yes, absolutely. That's, that is the joy of books to me is... Hey, I need you to go read this one. Now we can talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. A friend of mine, my college roommate, <laughs> we have a, a, an author that we both love. Um, and his last book, the last third, I just couldn't get through. I just could not get through it. And he's like, are you going to finish it? I need to talk to you about it. I was like, I, I just, I can't get into the last third. It's just not good. Um, and then the author came out. I was like, yeah, I rushed to get it out. And for various reasons, uh, 
And he's like, yeah, I probably should have edited it. I was like, see, oh, see. You knew you were right. I know, but yeah. it's another, but we, we literally, I saw him last week and he's like, are you done with it yet? Like, I really, you're the only person that reads this book. I need you to finish it so that we can talk about it. So. That's the best part, right? Is, is, is finding something like that you love and then being able to share that with other people, talk about it, argue about it. I know that when I've done book clubs and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, like it's fascinating to sort of sit back and watch people argue about the character's decisions or what they think about, you know, a, a particular scene. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting too, that there's book clubs are, are prevalent. Sure. Many book clubs, not a lot of TV clubs. No, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. Not a lot of movie clubs. No. But there's a lot of book clubs. What's What's your reasoning for that, Josh? Do you have you, you clearly thought about this? <laughs> Just what we talked about, though. It's that it's internalizing a book and putting it into your, into your imagination is a much more personal and visceral experience mm-hmm. than seeing glowing pixels on a screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody who produces glowing pixels on a screen. <laughs> but even with my photos, they're, they're only for that person that I shoot. Mm-hmm. My, my photos are only for the clients for the most part. And so images of mine certainly get shared. Um, but with a book, I don't know anything else that you have to sit down and commit to, right? A good book. I mean, it may be, you know, for me, I read before I go to bed every night. So maybe it takes me a week to get through a book. Maybe it takes me a month, depending on how, sure. maybe I'm crashing after one page. Absolutely. And so a book is more of a journey and we're always looking for groups to go on journeys with. And so book, I think book clubs fill that, that group to go on a journey with, Hey, we're going to read this together. I love that way of looking at it, that you're going on a journey. I think that's, that's so cool. And, and I, maybe that's in some way resonating with me because that's the way I've looked at my own relationship with these characters mm. over the years, like really watching them evolve and seeing them go from sophomores, freshmen, sophomores in college to being in their late thirties, like such a cool evolution and really being able to be a part of that. And then that also makes me think, you know, I've had it. So my, my book came out last month and I've had a few people write to me and say, I really want to talk about this book with someone, but I, I haven't been able to find anybody who's ready yet. Like I want to talk about it with someone. And, and so I thought, well, you know, it would be kind of fun if maybe I had a sort of conversation with the author and had a very tiny little group of people mm-hmm. come talk to me, like from across the country, like just a little Zoom call where we actually talk about the book just with me. So here's a question for you, though. Mm-hmm. You've created, right, a book, piece of art. Mm-hmm. Once it's out into the world. <laughs> yeah. I have this, people feel certain ways about my photos and I'm like, that isn't at all what I was trying to do. Right. And so it's not just about you, but in the bigger world of art, once it's in the world, it takes its own, it takes its own journey. Absolutely. And so it's so weird sometimes, right? The song closing time. Yeah. We all got it wrong, (laughs) like hilariously wrong. Every bar, it was like, oh, they played that at the end. And it's about his kid about to be born. And like, he's coming out and he's like, how did y'all miss this? <laughs> I did not know that that oh, really? was the story behind yeah, that no, song. Like the guy that wrote it, right? We got it completely wrong. Wow. But it, t- it, it took a life of its own because all, you know, we're dumb Americans. All we hear is the chorus. <laughs> right, right. And you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh yeah, it's about a son about to be born. Wow, and like, but you can't go home. You can't go back to the place that you were from. Right, right, right. Of course. Right, right. So that's so interesting because you're right. Like I, I put the books out there and then people are going to interpret them however they want. Sure. And this is particularly interesting for me because I'm cisgender female writing literary fiction from a gay male perspective and 
for, for my own um, evolution over the course of the past however many years, I guess, since I published my first book 10 years, when I was first shopping that, looking for a publisher, et cetera, about 12 years ago, we've gone from an industry that didn't necessarily want to publish a lot of books with gay characters. There were some out there, but people were very careful mm -hmm. because they felt that that wasn't something that people wanted to read, to now being in a situation where people want own voices, mm -hmm. right? Like they really, they, they're like, okay, well, this is appropriation. So I have to be very cognizant of that with my, with my writing, that these characters are there and I want to share these stories. And I have to be very careful about that line between um, imagination and appropriation. Mm -hmm. Because who knows what these people are going to do once they read the book and how they're going to interpret what I've done. Right. Um, what's gratifying for me is that the feedback that I've gotten, especially from gay men, is that the story is spot on. Though gay men aren't necessarily, they don't make up my, the bulk of my readership is probably about half. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. I'd also add, so I, I teach these creative writing workshops for, for girls, and they are really into the fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they love taking characters, shipping them together, even though that's not what the creator of whatever art we're talking about has intended, and then writing stories about that. And when, I'm sure I did a little bit of that on my own when I was in middle school and first starting to write. I remember pooling characters and kind of writing scenes from different books that I had read, but then I wasn't posting them online for, you know, 10,000 people to read. Yeah. And, and when the girls talk about this in my workshops, I'm, I'm always so taken aback because I think that those characters are mine. Like, you can't do that with my characters, but of course people can. People can take them over. Well, to continue with our, you know, Conan Doyle, right? Enola Holmes just came out on Netflix. Huge hit. It, it was based on a six-book series that somebody else wrote. Right. And I think today where a younger generation is very natively comfortable oh, yes. talking. They might start a conversation on Snapchat that goes to Facebook Messenger, that goes to Instagram. And so there's no, there's no platform. There's, there's none of that. We're past that. And we're also in remix, right? Everything is just synthesized with something as a way to express that idea. Yes. Um, and so it's very much a synthesized, I don't mean that like in a bad way, I don't mean like 80 synthesizer, but like this character exists in mine and has this meaning and now I'm gonna pull it from this meaning and now we're gonna spin them around and spin them up. But I think that's been, like, I don't think that's new. I just think it's more accepted. It's more accepted and I think that technology has made it so, I mean the proliferation right. of that is right. just, so I, I I try to remember that with my own work because it does mean, I mean, clearly I've been with these men for this many years. Right. It does mean something so uh, unique for me. And I have to recognize that it means something different for the reader. And that, that is part of making art, right? Right. And that's why I was asking you, like, you know, do you want to have that conversation with somebody, right? The, the conversation with the author, because do you want to tell somebody like, you got this hilariously <laughs> wrong? Like, how, what? No. Or do you be like, I see that, you know, it's, to me, that's a fine line. Mm. I love that you're bringing that up and, and <laughs> before you do it, right. <laughs> I take that event off of my website right now. No, I, I mean, I actually, I want to hear, so I want to hear what, what the readers have to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that this has been a big shift for me over the course, even of the last year or so, where I've really started to get away from, um, book sales mm -hmm. and really started to look more at how am I connecting with my characters and how am I connecting with my readers mm -hmm. and how can I sort of nurture both of those relationships because ultimately when I really get quiet I understand that what's most important for me is first and foremost my my relationship with my characters because that sustains me and I I feel a debt of gratitude and and a debt in general to them mm -hmm but then also this connection with my readers and really being able to, however that, I guess, however that comes about, whether that's some kind of interaction on social media or talking with them in person or providing something that's unique to them. Mm -hmm. I think I like that idea of being accessible in a different way. 
Well, <laughs> I, I love that. I will say that one of the mantras of this podcast and of anybody that knows me is your network is your net worth. Mm. And I think that what you're doing is building the network of people that know Joel. Yes. And it's hard to quantify how that will translate into a book sale. Um, but I think the more you get the character out, that's, that's what's going to bring people in. Um, it's kind of why I asked you earlier, like, what would you do if your character got more famous than you? Mm-hmm. Honestly, that should be the goal of every author, mm-hmm. right? Amazing. Like something I created that isn't tangible mm-hmm. has that much resonance. Yes, absolutely. That mean that means you did something right. right. We have we have a photo club, and people always ask me like, "Oh, are you trying to grow it?" And it's not that we're trying to grow it, but we're trying to do the right things. And in doing the right things, demonstrate our quality. And by demonstrating our quality, people will naturally be attracted to it. And I feel the same thing with authors. Like, it's not about sell, 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 sell. You need to buy my book because X, Y, Z. That's not, to me, that's not how the world works anymore. Mm. I could be wrong. But by, but by telling and showing and demonstrating the, that character... It's pulling people. It creates that gravitational pull in. Absolutely. Yeah. I want that connection. Like that, that to me seems more important than anything else right now. And, and then I sort of see as I'm sort of letting go of, of that attachment to, like with, especially with this book, like I'm not looking at sales very often or anything. I'm, I'm really sort of thinking about how, how am I connecting in the moment with my character? How can I get closer to my character in this moment? And then this, this notion of being more accessible to, to my reader. So (laughs) this is sort of interesting. One of the really influential books for me when I was growing up was S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders. Mm -hmm. Loved the book. Thought it was so cool. I mean, I think I read it when I was 13. She published that when she was 16 years old. Really? Yeah. So she, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. So she must have been writing that at, what, 14, 15? Sure. And I was so struck by the way this girl was writing so beautifully and so effectively about teenage boys, which to me, they, like, they all seemed <laughs> so mysterious. Well, right? but who observes teenage boys better than teenage girls? <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Very good point. So, so... No teenage boy could write that about themselves. <laughs> No. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that a teenage boy has that level of introspection <laughs> at that age. Self-awareness, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I've, I've always thought, wow, like, Essie Hinton, you know, really influential, wrote about boys, and, and here I am, like, at my age, really, like, writing about men, like, fascinated by men, fascinated by their relationships with other men, father-son relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. I don't know what it is that fascinates me so much, but that, woof, like for me, that is so rich. That material is so rich. And I follow her on Twitter. And a couple of weeks ago, she, she posts quite often. And a couple of weeks ago, she posted something in response to someone who had <laughs> tweeted at her. And the, the request was, hey, do you have any time to Zoom with my kid about this book? And of course she doesn't. She's Essie Hinton. <laughs> you know, of course she doesn't have that kind of time. And she probably gets requests all that's all the time. But her response was quick, abrupt. If I did that, I would be on Zoom all day. And I don't mean to like throw Essie Hinton under the bus or anything, because again, she's like incredibly important both to me and I know has been, even for the girls in my workshops, they still mm-hmm. read her books and love them. And at the same time, I thought, that's not what I want. Like, it was so clear in that moment. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to hop on a Zoom call with every reader who reaches out to me, but I want I want to be immersed in this world so utterly that it consumes the, the vast majority of my time. Yeah, and, you know, I would say that... So, I don't know if you know this about me. <laughs> I used to work at a restaurant here in town for a long time, for seven years. Pluckers. If you, 
So if you've I ever, love that. so here's where it gets even more funny. I have a wing sauce named after me there. Fabulous. Baker's Gold. <laughs> of course. And it's really more fascinating that my dad is a gold miner. That's why it's called that. Right. Right. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. But we used to have a slogan internally. It was always the answer is yes. What's the question? And so if you're getting that question a lot, maybe it would make sense to carve out a way to make that work. Mm. Maybe not a one-on-one. Right. But if you're getting that question, that means there's interest. So So this was my this was my thought with the conversation. No, no, I agree. So, you know, I wouldn't just, you know, yeah, let's do it right now. Maybe that's not the right answer, but if it's like Hey, you know, once a quarter, yes, one, we're going to have a two hour conversation and I'll try to answer as much. I mean, what do you do when you go on a book sale, like yes. on a book tour? Like I've gone to author signings. It's basically just an in-person Zoom call, right? Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, by giving, by giving, you get. I, so here's what I, oh my gosh. So here's what I love. I I've really been thinking so much just about that very concept about how I'm really interested only in giving my attention to things that give back to me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love my writing. It's why I love my writing workshops. I nurture those friendships where I give to the friendship, the friendship, I mean, recognizing that of course we all have moments. And there's this, there's this scene in Smoke and Glass where, so Joel is, is, has moved from painting to constructing this massive mosaic. He's living in Buenos Aires and he's picking up glass like on, on his runs and, and at the beach and he's constructing this massive mosaic. And he's having all of these issues with romantic partners. And he says, every day I give to the glass and the glass gives to me. Mm. And I just love that moment so much. And he's, he's like, look, if I'm looking for loyalty, like I don't have to look any further. It's right here and like sparkling in front of me. And that's the way I feel about my work. And it's also the way I feel about my readers. And so if I, I want to give to them and then they sort of, I guess they're giving back to me probably in ways they don't even realize Every time they interact with me, every time I think sometimes they feel like they're like, I'm sorry, I'm bothering you. Or like, I'm like, no, no, like this is why I'm here. But they say I'm sorry to bother you because I'm sure they've they've been conditioned to say yes. that yes. by people that have not been receptive to that. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, literally yesterday <laughs> I got a call from a student. He's a photography student in California. And found her work and was like, hey, I need to like interview commercial photographers for my class. Like, can you talk with them? That's like, absolutely. Like, 100%. And he called me. He's like, hey, it's just going to take like five minutes. Is that it? I'm like, I'm dry. I got an hour drive, but let's go. Like, what do you want to talk about? Right? Like, and then literally because of that conversation, I saw that he subscribed to my YouTube channel. I'm like, what's up, man? And like, he ju- I did a live stream last night. And he jumped on. And I was like, what's up? Like, and just... Like, don't be a dick. Like, how hard is it to, like, not be? I know. If people have taken, our lives are so chaotic and busy and everything else. And if somebody finds you and finds your work and is like, hey, that made an impact on me. We should throw, like, confetti in the air. Right. And streamers should go off. Absolutely. And it's like, our work connected with somebody. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Our work connected with someone. Like, that is what I'm after. This this notion of just being able to have that beautiful space. Because I think that we... (laughs) over the last decade especially, we've all started to get a little bit away from that and and away from connection. And that's where it's at. And look, I know there are there are certainly authors out there. We can be a solitary bunch. We spend a lot of time writing alone. We're in our heads. I know sometimes people are introverted and that's cool, but you can like send a message or something. I, I, I don't know. There's To me, there's something about embracing that readership that feels really luxurious to me and like including them in the world including them yeah yeah i mean y'all can hear my little doggy it's okay (laughs) so the reader the listener is gonna ask what's the dog's name the dog's name is silky hey silky smooth yeah she's a little beagle she's 14 i'll I'll take a little picture and post it on the um yeah i just yeah I just always keep coming back. Your network is your net worth. Yeah. Right. If you want to have a project that can make an impact, 
it's got to have a network. It's got to find a, some network, right? Of group, some group of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and cherish those who do come into your sphere as opposed to berating yourself or berating the numbers or something like that, because those people are there for a reason. I feel the same way with these writing workshops that I, that I offer. Sometimes I only take six girls at a time per Mm -hmm. class and sometimes classes are full and sometimes they're not. Sometimes I have just three girls or four girls, sometimes six girls sign up for the class and only three show up for whatever reason. And I always tell myself the right girls are here at the right time. Like there's a reason why we're in this space and I feel the same with with my readers like I'm really cherishing that relationship right now that's amazing yeah. so I want to hear more about your workshops okay so describe what your workshops are you've mentioned it three times but no <laughs> but nobody knows what they are so okay so I have I teach creative writing workshops for girls I mostly for girls I do have one boy in my high school class and I certainly work with non-binary students or students who are transitioning um, generally girls, uh, starting in fourth grade and running through senior year of high school. I mostly offer monthly workshops. We meet once a week for two hours. And, you know, it's really interesting the way it came about. And I know you're partly interested, Josh, in how artists make their money. Right? Sure. So it's really curious. I had just gotten divorced mm-hmm. it's about seven and a half years ago. And, you know, I'd been focusing on my son, focusing on my writing. And I thought, well, now I need to <laughs> earn more money. Sure. What am I going to do? And I was trying to figure it out. And I was like pretty much down to the wire. And I, I thought, okay, well, my rent's due in a couple of weeks. What am I going to do? And it was May of 2013, 2014. And, and we, we don't have any fact checkers <laughs> on the show. <laughs> in my brain, that's not as important. And a, a couple of people said to me, you know, you should teach we were coming up on summer and they were like, you should teach little like writing camps for kids. And I thought, Oh my God, that sounds horrendous. Like I already have a kid. I'm with him all the time. Am I really going to like tell him to go in his room or shuttle him off to a friend, work with other children and then have like, that sounds exhausting. But three people told me in the span of like a week. And I thought, all right, whenever I get that message three times, I feel like I'm supposed to be paying attention. So I was in a yoga pose and I got this, full like sentence I want to teach a class called brains beauty boys I wanted to and I thought yeah I want to teach a class about girls four girls who are like in sixth or seventh grade and they're just starting to sort of like you know their their relationship with their bodies are changing and and they are smart but they're also like starting to crush on boys or maybe girls and what does that all feel like and so I I thought you know what I'm just gonna throw out a class and I did just on Facebook and it like filled and the girls came, six girls, and we all kind of looked at each other and I thought, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know how I'm gonna talk to these girls. And I started asking them questions. What does it feel like to be a popular girl? If you're not popular, what does it feel like to not be the popular girl? What are your parents like when it comes to your grades? And do you have any friend drama going on? And what do you like about yourself and what don't you like? And they did not shut up. I mean, for the first few minutes, they were like looking at each other, like, is she really asking us these questions? And then they just started talking and they didn't shut up. And so what the classes are now, they're just writing workshops. They don't call it brains, beauty boys anymore. Um, is but, that, is that the, is that the, uh, to the guns, germs and steel, right? That's like the, I, the rebuttal to that. What I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> thought at one point of having a similar class for boys I was going to call it defining men mm. because boys have their own issues right but no one signed up I'd get like one kid yeah. and uh so anyway what I do in these workshops is for the first hour we talk and getting all of that mind chatter all of that stuff that the girls are thinking about especially as they get older they're attached to their phones mm-hmm. they're like on snapchat and tiktok and once they get all of that out then we write and then we share. Mm-hmm. And I have girls, I have girls who took that very first workshop with me who are now at UT. And um, they were with me for six years, wow. like month after month, year after year. It's a magical, magical space. And it, it keeps me connected to writing in a really light and beautiful way because kids don't have baggage. Kids yeah. all write something and they're like, I wrote something amazing. Like, or sometimes they'll say it's not very good usually when it actually is right. pretty amazing. 
Yeah, we, I, you know, we also teach workshops. Um, what's that precision camera? Um, but yeah, we teach workshops and it's always fun. Like the things that get in my way or the things that I don't love or like a photo that I'm like, eh, it's all right. And the students are like, look at what I got. This is amazing. I've never done this before. You know, like, and you, you kind of, you kind of steal some of their excitement for your own. It's a little bit of rocket fuel for your own work. Absolutely. Um, I love it. I mean, I, I love teaching workshops. Um, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm, I'm working on, some people know this already, but I'm already working on, uh, like all of my workshops are usually like one off, you know, three hour, four hour kind of shooting experiences or something, but I'm working on a three night, four day workshop this summer for 20 summer, 2021. Um, and I'm really nervous about it. I think I heard this in the Emily. Yeah, I know. I'm still working on. I'm still working on getting some permission from landowners, and okay. there's there's a lot that goes into it. Sure. Um, and it's my first one, and um, Ooh, it's like a retreat. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It is. It is. It is. So yeah, we're gonna be focused on astrophotography, but among other things, um, and I want to create more. I really like this idea of. Um, I really want to do like a creative conference. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know the shape. I don't know the form yet. Um, but the question I get, so a lot of my business is just being saying yes to the questions that always get asked of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the questions I get asked the most is Josh, how are you so creative? And person, I mean, (laughs) I'm a, I'm a problem solver. (laughs) Like I solve problems. Maybe I solve in a creative way, but I don't think I'm outside the scope of normal and creativity. But I think people have been beaten down so long oh that, gosh, that they don't feel like they're creative or that they don't that, that they don't feel like their thoughts are worthy of being called creative. I absolutely see that everywhere around me. Yeah. Someone said, I'm trying to remember where I heard this the other day and I, it's, it's, I'm blanking on it, but someone said that they had heard the phrase, um, the opposite of depression is expression. And I really hmm. liked that. Because I, I feel like that's this is why I like working with kids. It's because they have that sort of exuberance for their work. Not that sure. they don't have like mental health issues sometimes, but I but I feel like sometimes with adults, like you're right, they've had that sort of creativity beaten out of them a little mm-hmm. bit. They've been told that they're not creative or Or that it doesn't have value. It doesn't have value. Yeah. And so they've gone in a different direction thinking, well, I have to earn a living or I have to, and and I I you know, you can tell someone who's creative and lives that creativity when you meet them because they are lit up when you meet them. And how long does it take you to tell? Minutes, seconds? Oh, you can see it in their eyes. Yeah. As soon as they start talking about their work, whatever it is, even if they have like some full-time side job, if they're pat, they're going after their passion, yeah. you can see it. Yeah, I call it bounce. Bounce. Like, bounce. Yeah, some people, and I think it's just because they have an energy about them that yeah. when they walk, they have a little bit of a bounce. I love that. Where some people that have had that, where some people that have had it kind of beaten out of, right? They don't have that step. Yeah, yeah. But some of it also is like that mental, they can do mental gymnastics. Mm -hmm. They can, like if I give them something, they can give it back. Mm -hmm. And it's just that like pace and bounce and. Mm -hmm. Love that. It's it's hard to describe and it's hard to quantify, but like when when you, when you see somebody with it, you kind of want to hold on. You're like, you don't know me yet, but we're going to be friends <laughs> and we'll figure it out later, but I need to talk to you more because you need those people in your life, right? Absolutely. Again, your network is your net worth. Yes. And so I don't mean that just financially, you know, your net worth is also your mental health is also your physical health is also all of those things, experiences that you might have, right? The richer the people in your life, not again, not just financially, the richer experiences you're going to have in your life. Well, guess what? That's all we have. Money, the only reason money is good is to give you better experiences. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Right. And, and, you, know, you don't get to take it with you. You don't get to take it with you. And, and, and you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, when I first got divorced, I, you know, I really sort of left that marriage without any money. And I remember my mom, who's wonderful and has given me incredible advice over the years. But in this instance, she and everyone else around me was saying, well, you're a single parent now, it's going to be hard. Sure. And I had this, I really hated that. <laughs> Newsflash, I'm married with kids. It's also hard. <laughs> this is what I was like, wait a minute. Actually, in some ways, this is feeling a little easier. So, But, you know, I, I, I had this one friend, 
my lovely friend Jennifer Bloom, who's a poet here in Austin. And I kept saying, well, I've got to get a job. I've got to get, like, maybe I'll get a job doing, like, this at Macy's or maybe, like, something, like, part-time. Like, and she would laugh and she would say, like, you just need to write. Like, just go back to write. Like, something will happen. And it seems so foolish. Like, I can hear, like, people listening to, to like, me saying these words and then thinking, well, yeah, you must have, like, you had the luxury. No people, no money. Like, I had nothing. But what I had was that richness with my with my art what I had every day I could go back into that world every day I could connect with those characters and my life changed and I think as artists so there's an author I really like her name uh, N.K. Jemison. okay um, she just came out with a new series she writes kind of all over the place but some science fiction some not um, she just won some big award anyway fantastic writer okay and she's a, a an uh, educator as well but she said that that artists always we always hurt more, but we feel more because we're the cultural sponges, mm. right? So we're we're the ones that are soaking up experiences and then we bring them out into our work, <laughs> right? So so literally as an artist, you have to have that network yeah. so that you can pull from your network, right? Otherwise, your work isn't going to be high net worth. Again, not talking financial, but like just think about. Why can't, a, why can't a 14 year old boy write about 14 year old boys? Mm. They have no viewpoint, mm. right? And so it takes somebody observing them or having lived through it to go back and write that. So you need that network to write about something that you're not. I love that. And, you know, it really speaks. I'm always, you know, telling the girls in my workshops is like, you know, pay attention to the people around you, pay attention to the conversations, use them, like, use the stories. I am a fan of taking other people's little moments. And they become my own. Like, mm-hmm. they, they become the characters for me. Well, I think, you know, I'm sure you get the question, like, how dare you, a white cis woman, write about gay men? Mm-hmm. It's because I'm guessing you probably observed them. You know, here's what's really curious. I mean, yes, certainly, I pay attention. But honestly, those characters are just there. I cannot explain it. Um, I it, It's not that I haven't... You know, a lot of people, a lot of people encourage writers who are writing outside of the realm of their own perspective to get beta readers who are, you know, of that particular group or whatever. Honestly, I have not done that. I can, I'm fortunate enough that, that the feedback that I've gotten is that this is spot on, but they really are just there. That's cool. I've, I've really not... I'm sure I'm mostly, I feel like I'm just mostly observing people, yeah. maybe men in general, like right. not specifically gay men. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. you're like, I don't think it, I don't think it, I'll, I'll give this example. Mm. Who was the first person to really tell the story of America? <laughs> there's, there's a very famous example. <laughs> okay, please tell us. So it's a Frenchman named Tocqueville. Okay. And he came and toured America for two years and wrote this, um, you know, this massive kind of biography of America. Mm. And it became the unofficial story of America, but it had to be told from an outsider, mm. right? We didn't. Oh, what an interesting notion! We didn't. We didn't get it. We didn't get a view of the Earth until a, until a, a satellite left the Earth. So you're saying that I actually have a curious authority simply because I'm outside the realm yeah. of. Oh, I've never looked at it that way, but I I love that idea. Right, you're the you know you're not the narrator in the story, but you're the observer. Yes, I am. Right really love that that's cool that's very cool yeah Yeah, I mean that's that's why earlier I was saying like I don't trust people that don't read or travel Mm -hmm. and I I say that kind of it's half joking but you have to give yourself new perspectives and so what's a perspective you know if we want to see in three dimensional you need two points of view Mm. if you only if you only see with one eye you're literally seeing two dimensions and so if you want to show something in shadows and relief, it needs, it needs that, that multiple viewpoint. I love that. The shadows and relief too. That's just a great phrase. I mean, I'm sure it has to do with <laughs> No, that. I just, I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know. really, really love that. I'm, okay. So I'm going to steal that. Yeah. <laughs> That'll show. Steal, steal all you want. In the fourth book. That yeah. happen. Steal all you want. So, yeah. So I, I guess that's the other question. Like. Are we going to continue with the Ritz cinematic universe? Or <laughs> we are. We where? are. I'm halfway through the fourth book, 
there are two narrators in that book as well. And it's a little bit different. There's um, crime in that book, okay. which is, is not typical for me. Um, but it's been kind of, it's been fun to write. Like it's, it's strange. That sounds like fun. The process has been fun, but it's also been like in, even darker than my other books. Like it's now is Joel in this too, or is it, is it so finally a story outside of that? It's no, no, it's the fourth in the series. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. So Joel's in it, but he's not one of the narrators this time. Okay. It's, it's James again. And then Adam, who was the narrator of my novel, called I too have suffered in the garden. So I took that book phrase and I did a shoot just on that phrase. I too have suffered in the garden. Mm -hmm. Do you know that's actually that I took it from a title of a painting um, by Ito Romo in San Antonio. That is fascinating. Okay. So this is the perfect example of how, when we produce a work of art, it then like carries on. Right. How fascinating. What was the, what was the shoot? Um, yeah, it was after, I, I don't know. I don't, Oh, I don't remember when I did it. I'll have to find it. I'll find it and put it in the post. But yeah. um, we shot it at a place that doesn't exist anymore called Dunvegan Keep. It was this guy who basically built a castle in his backyard. Um, and it was just about like unrequited love in a garden, quite literally. Um, I love that, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that so, sounds so cool. And really, in so many ways, like that's what my books are about, too. Yeah. So I stole that title and created photos based on that. I love that you yeah. did that. That's really cool. Yeah, one of our clients is the Bland Museum, and they pay me to shoot, but basically they pay me to like come up, like they pay me to go look at art. That's fantastic. And I'm like, okay, this is great. I mean, I'm, I have to take pictures while I'm there, but, <laughs> well, um, but I have a whole like, gallery of like, uh, you know, I take a picture that like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to recreate this. I want to put a spin on that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, and you know, you and I did that photography, photography shoot back in 2013. The, oh, the no, it Silver wasn't. Park. Yeah, it was, it was. <sighs> and, 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 and that was amazing. We took that scene from my, my book yeah. crossing and yeah. What I remember about that, I wish I was having to limit you because you were, you were overwhelming me, not in a bad way, but you don't even, <laughs> not a bad way. no, no, not in a bad way. But when I'm creating, like I, I ask people, I, I just need three adjectives. And I know that I asked you the same thing. I was like, you're telling me too much. Ooh, like sure and you were giving me too much detail Yeah. and it, it overwhelmed me. And I had to distill it down uh-huh. to just the three things. And I remember kind of fight, not fighting you about this, but <laughs> I'm sure we did. you were like, no, no, I'm going to tell you. I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was like, just give me some like sketches. I wish I could remember what three words they were. That That's so fascinating. Cause I don't, I don't remember that part at all. Like this is another like different yeah. perspectives, different memories. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember like, like, we didn't, we kind of wanted to show the face, but making like silhouettes yep. and mm-hmm. you know, there was just key details because with photography, if it, when, when the photos get with writing, a compliment is it's, it's very complex, right? Yes. There's a lot going on. Yes. There's a lot to experience yes. with photos. It's kind of the opposite. The, the refinement in a photo is showing only exactly what needs to be shown. Yeah. And the image that's coming to mind is the one of, um, James with a cigarette. And there's very little in that photo. Yeah, there's very little. And so refi- most most people's early photos mm-hmm. have too much in them. Okay. So a landscape, but there's like a tree branch that doesn't need to be there. There's a tourist on the left that needs to be gone, right? There's all these other things that, and so the refinement is distilling it down to only what needs to be left. I love that. Right. It's why Hemingway is so popular. Right. Hemingway would have been a good photographer in the sense of he took everything down into short sentences, short words, novellas, so concise, Mm -hmm. but then it let the imagination fill in the rest. It's why people love black and white photography. They've you've taken information out. This is fascinating. I've never talked to a photographer about that sort of thing. I love that. It's taking information out. And so it makes your people will look at black and white photos longer because your brain has to work to fill in the colors. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful thought. Right, and so that sparse, very, in writing, I mean, there's certainly people who do it. Poetry. Sure. Poetry are complex thoughts. Oh my gosh, so simple. And how long does it? Yeah. One of my favorite, him, uh, not Hemingway, Twain quotes was, I was gonna write you a short letter, but I ran out of time, so I wrote you a long one. <laughs> because how much of the creative process is 
distilling, 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 distilling. And so many people, when they see a really amazing like portrait photographer, it looks simple. It looks easy. Watch a world-class athlete, basketball, baseball, whatever sport you want, figure skater. And they do it with such a grace and a style. Yes, it seems effortless. It seems effortless. And because it seems effortless, people are like, well, I could do that. (laughs) You put it on your skate. You're like, no, no, no. That took their lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Just to get that good. Absolutely. And then it's going to take them another 10 years to get 1% better. Yeah, you, you mentioned that 1% earlier before we actually started mm-hmm. recording about do you want to use your time as an artist to get that 1% better or do you want to use that time to sort of, now I would say, what, increase your network, network. Yeah, so I mean kind of the whole point of this podcast is, is an exploration of artists and their business. Mm-hmm. And too many conversations that I've had, not necessarily that I recorded, but they're, let's say they're at an 85% of their journey of, of what they'll be able to create. Mm-hmm. And they'll, to get to that next percent takes a huge amount of effort, right? Your first 10 portfolio pieces are really easy. Your next 10 are harder. Your next 10 are that effort, right? It, mm-hmm. it becomes exponentially harder. But they don't, they think that by getting 1% better at their art, that their revenue or their income will go up, but their, their business model is only at a 20%. Well, to survive, they need to be at 50%. So where are they spending their time and energy? At some point you have to get your business structure up and running enough to allow you to keep working on the art to allow you to get that next percent. Mm -hmm. Because what happens so many times that I see, they worry so much about the art. They don't focus on their business. And then they don't get to make their art anymore. And so they don't get to progress. Right, right. Horrifying thought. And then it shortchanges all of the viewers, the consumers, the the people, right? Imagine if you'd only written one Joel book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus your third, third now. I just finished the third. Have you become a better writer? Oh my God, yes. Are the stories better? Yeah, right? Oh, of course. And so the people that invested on you in the first book, if you hadn't made enough money to get by, you would have deprived them with the better work of the third. Absolutely. And so in what way and in what things are you doing to do enough? And it's not that you have to be the best business person, not you particularly, but an artist doesn't have to be the best business person, but they have to have some structure set up to do that, to generate income to do those things, right? Without workshops, would you be able to write full-time? No, absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. Right. Me too. I mean, (laughs) eh, I probably still would be able to, but workshops certainly help for me. Right. Um, So then the question is, what other things do you need to do business-wise to create enough income to write the fifth book? I love this question because truthfully, it's not something that I think about. It's really not like I, the workshops kind of came in and then I thought, well, these are kind of fun. And I, as I said, like I give to them, the girls give back to me. It feels like I'm throwing a little party. I mean, I can't have the girls in my living room anymore. We just do zoom now, but it feels like I'm throwing a little party. I get a lot out of it, but you're right. Like I don't necessarily spend a lot of time thinking about the business model aspect of it. Even though clearly, like, I have my own business. Like, Young Writers Austin mm-hmm. is the name of this business. Sure. You know? So, my question then to you is, do you want to grow that? Mm. Or are there ways to authentically monetize what you're already creating? That sounds, um, that sounds more palatable to me, to authentically monetize what I'm already creating. This is really good, good uh, question. This is what I think about all day. Yeah, I love that. So it's why it, it literally gets me excited to talk to, to artists about this, mm-hmm. um, to either share what they've done to hopefully help others. The world needs more love. The world needs more art. Absolutely. So I want to outfit people with the tools to do that. I love that, Josh. Um, so for me, just thinking about it, I don't know what all you did. Literally, I have no idea what all you do. Um but you're talking about Zoom calls. You're talking about that. 
one of the things that I've started doing, we've created a Patreon. And that's actually where this podcast will go first. We have a Patreon for education, photography, education, art education. Um, and so, you know, it's a subscription model. People pay for access, right? They see works in progress. I write educational articles. Um, we have a YouTube live stream show called Josh Says Mean Things. Um, and anybody can view the show, but only patrons can submit their work to be critiqued. I like that. Um, and I've seen authors use that platform mm-hmm. to either show sketches or field notes or set up, you know, patron only Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. So cool. You want to Zoom? Hey, become a member. We do these once a month and we talk about this thing or whatever, however, whatever shape you want it to take. Um, and to me, that's such it's an old model made new again. Right. How did Michelangelo. Right. He didn't just make art. No, of course not. So, so, yeah, yeah, he had patrons. Yeah. And so that's an old idea made new. Yeah, really interesting. And so a book sale is one sale, mm-hmm. right? For me, I'm wearing a new Azulox Visuals t-shirt. I've been messing around with like a merchandise store. And so for my patrons, I sent them the link first. And they're the only ones that have seen it so far. I'm still working on it, but I want to show them what it is. Uh-huh. Um, and, with, and in 24 hours, I had a sale already. I love and it's a small group of people. Sure, it's of only in, in the 30s. Well, it's like this nice little coterie that you have. Right, but it's a very it's a, it's a small community. It's a small network. Uh-huh. But we're building that network. Yes, and you're connected, you're connected, you're connected. Right. Yeah. And so if it was me, that would be the first thing that I would think of. Um, right, Joel Merch. <laughs> I don't know. Idea. Just like a hand <laughs> and a cigarette on a coffee mug. I don't know. Um or anything that goes along with it, yeah. right? Think about the things you, you love. Mm. And the things about the things that you connect with. Don't you want a little piece of it? I do. Right. This is beautiful. Really beautiful. Love these ideas. Yeah. Really cool. I've had to think about them. Especially during the pandemic when my business went down 95%. Oh, my God. Yeah. We went from doing pretty well to like, ooh, <laughs> we're going to have to do a little hustle. But, it, you know... I hate the phrase, but like every crisis is just the opportunity. Right, right. Like, ah. Yeah, shut up. And. Go no, ahead. and I'm oh, oh, yeah. giving you this space but, to say it. But I'm, I'm a creator. Yeah. And I can't, I can't turn off that no. output. No, you can create in the chaos. Like if I showed most people my, my, my Google calendar, like they would cry. <laughs> it's like a nice spacious calendar. I think I might cry. Today. Yeah. Recording a podcast, right. have a one-on-one training session almost immediately after this, uh-huh. going to pick up my kids from school, going to cook dinner, then go and shoot uh, for my automotive client from like 6 to 9 p.m. Oh, my. And I've already edited like 100 photos this morning. <laughs> and I and I woke up and packed my kids lunch and I made them breakfast and I got them to school. <laughs> and Okay, but see, here's the thing. So I, I, when I woke up this morning, I was like, ooh, I feel a little tired i've been roller skating a lot i bought roller skates yeah it's so fun but i've been going and i'm like oh my god i'm really tired and so the combination of that and the prep for the book launch party this weekend it's just been oh. and i woke up this morning and i thought okay i've got the, the podcast with josh and i thought can you imagine jen what that would be like if you didn't want to do it if it was not to talk about your fictional world and not to talk about smoke and glass and Joel and James and Adam and their love and their hate and instead you were just having to do something that you didn't want to do and that I think is what allows us to have a busy schedule and to feel complete to feel like yeah. it's not, not like of course it's nice to have space yeah. and vacation but I from what vacation from what, what? from creating forget that that's all I want to do anyway exactly exactly I, I always joke I can't do 50 percent no Oh my God, absolutely. I can do 0% exactly. or I just crater. That's right. Or I can do 100%. Yep, I don't want to half-ass anything. I agree. And so, yeah, for me, I mean, yesterday we shot a cosplay shoot in kind of a castle. And then, I mean, what's, what's today? Wednesday? <laughs> Wednesday. Tomorrow I'm taking our photo club to the nature center and we're doing a wildflower walk. And then I'm going and talking to another photo club. See? And I'm president of a photo club. And... <laughs> Yeah. But it's good. It's good. But it's it's good. energizing. I, I feel like I don't have enough time to get all the things. Like, I worry that I'm going to run out of life before I run out of all the things I want to, to get out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like fuel. That ain't, 
I always wonder, why do humans have anxiety? Mm. Because anxiety makes you get shit done. <laughs> if we didn't have anxiety, we would never have evolved. We would, we would have all been killed because we wouldn't have gotten up when the lions. If we didn't have anxiety, the lions were going to kill us. We wouldn't be here today. Now, we can have too much anxiety. Oh, of course. And that can be paralyzing. Yes. But I think a, a healthy amount of anxiety, like, I got to get this done. I got to go. Because yeah. without it, I'm zero. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I love, I have deadlines. So many of them are self-imposed. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Like, I'm still going to hold that time sacred. I'm still going to take that seriously. And I'm still going to feel like something's lacking if I don't meet that deadline. I have so much I want to do. The notion of years in the future retiring. Retire from what? what? I know. Like, am I, I ever know. really not going to write? Like, that's a crazy thought. Yeah, I think about that a lot yeah. in terms of, huh, Okay. I don't, you know, go what you want to do. Uh, well, I want to go travel and take photos. Huh, what am I doing now? I uh, travel and take photos. What am I going to retire from? Oh my God, I love that you said that too because I was talking the other day with, I have a, like a coach and I was talking with her the other day and I said, really, I already have what I want. Like what I want is time and space to write, connection with my characters and connection with my readers. Yeah. Ta-da, like here I am, I'm already living it. Does that mean I don't want those relationships to deepen? Of course I do. Of course it would be nice if Joel became more famous and... Like, I already have what I want. How beautiful is that? You have got to make a shirt for sale that says, uh, Joel and James and Adam. Really? Just And just that. Because then anybody that's read the book and they're walking by, they're like, <laughs> I know that. Can you imagine I'm that? So doing that. Can you imagine I'm aware of myself? <laughs> and only if, it, if it's only you, it's for you. But imagine showing up to a, to a book signing and that's what you're wearing. Oh, that's fabulous. Oh my God, I love this idea. Yeah, this is great. And this is why it's so important to constantly be talking to other people who are creative. Your network is your net worth. Absolutely. I know. We're going to end it there because that's, that's, that's the boom. That's the bombshell. That's a bombshell. Well, this has been episode 15 of a very energetically charged episode of the Make, Make, Make podcast. Thank you to all my patrons who make this happen. All now 33 of you as of last night. Um, I appreciate the hell out of y'all. This has been Jennifer. Say goodnight, Jennifer. Good night. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll see y'all soon.